we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the new cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I am in San Francisco, joined by my two mates from the uh, the other the other coast. Which I don't know which one is better. We don't have to have that argument right now. Um, but it's obviously whatever coast I'm on. Uh, Matt Welch and Michael Moynihan, it is a pleasure to be with both of you. I apologize yes. for the late start. It's uh, no, it traffic matter. out here is terrible. This is abysmal this terrible. evening. I just that's I mean, the weather is great, and I am you literally in, sent a picture of trying to buy something at CVS today, and everything was behind a glass well, yeah. wall. Yeah, <laughs> it gives you even the sample. <laughs> it gives you a nice opportunity to interact with a very pleasant staff who work in these establishments who are you happy to unlock the gate for you and give you, you whatever you need. So he's on twelve understand. different if, times. Yeah, if, if Chase Boudin, or I, I think he's dead now, but else, <laughs> if no one is going to prosecute you, why don't you just ask them to open it up and then just fill your bag? I why don't are these know, people man. so fucking stupid I that they know. just feel like I don't know? There's a lock there now. I got. I guess I got to go outside and. Do my heroin lean without some Colgate. <laughs> I've told you before, I feel I always feel like a bit of a of a dope for actually paying for things at the stores yeah. because apparently that is optional. Um maybe you might well, be murdered or something like that yeah. if you attempt to do the shoplifting thing, but that's probably only if you refuse to get out of your car while actually trying to run over the police officer with your car, yeah. which maybe is inadvisable. I don't it's know. inadvisable. Yeah, yeah, it's inadvisable. You might get shot that way. Yeah, but and, also that's you know, racism. Don't, don't you dare <laughs> shoot someone trying to run you over with yeah. a car. That but is also, racism. don't cry for me, Argentina. <laughs> but if you do <laughs> throw a Molotov cocktail into a cop car, um, yes. make sure to do it during a Black Lives Matter protest. Yes, and, for yeah, racial yeah. justice. Uh, yes. And then also make sure to plead guilty. Um, turns out yeah, that yeah. there's a then, big difference in the sentencing. And then you'll get a yeah. show on Air America. Does that still exist? <laughs> <laughs> if Pre-saging it does, I'm sure you get one right things. after Sam Sater. Um, yes, yes. Many, <laughs> but, no, many Camille, things I have to, to discuss. Yeah. I have to, I have to be honest, though. This is a, Tell a me. serious... Because uh, I feel bad because I make fun of the dump that you live in. Um, the city <laughs> is not... Your house is probably nice, but... The, it's the quite surrounding nice. The house is probably not in the city, also. Just to, it's yeah. probably not in the city. It's not um, the city. It's a <laughs> um, <laughs> So I have to be honest, though, because I'm yeah. like, I enjoy making fun of it. But I yeah. left the comedy cellar last night after mm. I think I'm 12 drinks. I can't, I was oh so many that I was like, God. I can't even believe that this, I'm still standing. And I'm, like, I'm so amazed. I was amazed by myself. And I, I got, yeah. the, I got on a subway too. So I walked out, <laughs> no joke. And it's on McDougal street. And I took a left on a West Fourth street that goes right down to the West Fourth street, um, subway stop. And on the right hand side there, across from the village underground where the fifth column has done a live show, uh, there is a 7-Eleven, and in front of that 7-Eleven, <laughs> there was a man in a wheelchair. Now, the funny part was not that he was in a wheelchair. I, I mean, oh, it no. might have been funny how he got the, into the he wheelchair. Would've. I don't know. But he, he was in the wheelchair, and he was literally vomiting on himself. This is the city that I – like, I came out, and I was like, I have been out of the city for so – not for that I – mean, for mostly for the summer. Like, I just – and I'm like, all right, I'm coming back now. Go out. I do um, the Comedy uh, Cellar podcast with Gnome and uh, two of our friends also joined last night, um, which was uh, Eli Lake for his first appearance on Gnome's uh, podcast and uh, our uh, friend Mike Pesca. Oh, 
to oh, discuss very the cool. Philip Bump episode of uh, oh, which boy. made Gnome a bit uh, famous. But um, so we did that, and then just drank, and um, and then coming out, I'm like, okay, you know, back in the city, it feels good. It's very very hot. <laughs> um, and I literally walked outside, and there's this guy v- literally vomiting all over himself. And like no one's like, is he okay? Everyone's just like, get. <laughs> you know, if it's, if it's where I live, and you came out of a store and a guy was vomit. You'd call the police. You're just like, I gotta do something. But now you're like, eh, whatever. Nah. Just let him. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I had a pretty, I prayed a pretty chill uh, somewhere at home, which was um, oh, that's good. Shocking. Although Eli, who lives in DC, was st- was staying like in Times Square or something. Oh boy, know, easy hotel room or something. And uh, I guess not that easy because it's usually filled with migrants, <laughs> which is great. This is a yeah, feature, not so, a bug. They're so good for the economy at $225 a night. Um, <laughs> so, that's, that's, it's nice if they're paying that themselves. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They all are. Yes. They, get, they have points. They're all, they all have tons of American Express points. Express to America points. Um, and Eli said to me, he was like, man, and Eli lived in New York for many years. Yeah. Um, he was like, Jesus Christ. He's like walking to my hotel last night. It was like Blade Runner. Yeah. He's like, it's just insane. And I'm like, yeah, it's changed a little bit. So. They also teach you to, to get a hotel in Times Square. What are you doing, Eli? Yeah. What, he's, what are you you doing? can't get yeah, a hotel that was anywhere. I mean, you can't get a hotel literally anywhere. this week no. in New York, they stopped Airbnb, right? Like, like, yep. like choked off the majority of it. A whole bunches of hotels have been commandeered to house the 110,000 uh, migrants, I think about half of which are staying in these uh, shelters. So they've, they've co-opted hotels um, to be shelters for migrants because New York City has a, a right to shelter, yeah. which almost every other city does not. I think the state of mm-hmm. Massachusetts does. Um, yeah. And uh, the other fucking idiot state <laughs> where I'm from. Sorry. <laughs> and then, like, the unions don't allow to build new hotels. And so, like, okay, well, good thing that there's no tourism industry worth paying attention to here in New York. So, uh, yeah, good luck ever finding a place to, to sleep unless you like sleeping in um, shelters with people from Venezuela. Now, the Airbnb were- thing, Matt, is, I mean, they had instituted some rules quite a while back and they were restrictions on short-term rentals, but they just were not enforcing them for a very long time. So I guess New York has finally decided to enforce these, which is this week. effectively going to make it impossible for you to be an Airbnb operator. Yeah. So to get this, to be clear about this, and I want all of our listeners to understand this, if you live in New York and you own a property, you bought with like a lot of money. It is against the law. You bought the property and you paid yeah. the city an exorbitant amount of taxes, et cetera. And you were all a fool who believed that you could do what you like with your property. Exactly. And yeah. that you own that property. You cannot rent that property to somebody if the state or the city of New York does not want you to. But if you decide, <laughs> if you decide that you're now a resident of America because you just decided that, nah, it's fine. That's, that's, that's all right. We'll give you a hotel room. But what if I want to rent the thing and the thing that I earned and I paid all the taxes? No, you can't do that. But if you, but you, do you want a hotel room? Because if you have know someone who's not from here and they just want to come, we'll just give them a we'll just give them a house if you want. Or a hotel Let's room. not forget the seems a bit weird. The other me. wrinkle, Mr. Moynihan, <laughs> which is that. Uh, you can't do these short-term rentals on Airbnb anymore unless you go through all this onerous stuff that almost no one has yeah. even tried. But if you happen to rent out to someone who stays as long as 30 days, I think is the cutoff, then they are mm-hmm. subject to non-eviction. 
<laughs> yeah, then yeah. You can't, then get, you can't get rid of them yeah. even if they don't pay rent. Yeah. Uh, and also you have so to crazy. accept anyone uh, to come in. No, to today. It is such, yeah, I, th- I think it yeah. is, today I'm, is the day ahead, that New York broke. Like today, today, <laughs> or at least that Matt broke realizing that unlike the two smarter people on this podcast, sinking ships should be jumped Get off out. as yeah. opposed to lashed exactly. to. Yeah, you're you're in the bunker It'll in be 1945 negotiating like, so what do we do? Like stay and sit to Germans just like, if we win or like the yeah. Russians go the other direction or what? I was like, I, I saw D-Day coming and I was like, I think I'm going to. Move to Paraguay. <laughs> I think it's better and for then the podcast from if Paraguay. You stay I was going to walk north across the border and get a free house, <laughs> which is fine. That is it's actually so that is what you should do. Yes. That is what you should do right now. This is the fifth yes. column recommendation for all of our listeners. You should um, terminate your citizenship in the United mm-hmm. States of America, illegally immigrate mm-hmm. to Mexico. There's then, no, no human is illegal. <laughs> By the way, which is hilarious. Like, it's not like, just the, they're illegal. They're here illegally. Yeah. But then cross, cross the southern border yeah. illegally. Yeah. And instantly you are going to get a golden ticket. It's, uh, yes, it's not to say that that, that that experience is uh, is not at all harrowing and that there aren't challenges associated with it. And that there are people interested in making it more challenging. For you, but, yeah, I, but you I, don't. It's not. It's not a fucking game show. You didn't get a prize because it's really challenging. <laughs> it's like a Joe Rogan fear factor. Like, get across the river, and we'll give you a, like a, a a new car or something. Else. But I know that I know that our listeners who we have a lot of from all over the political spectrum, and this I know that half of you are like, what, "Is this the new Tom Tancredo podcast?" <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, people. <laughs> we are like Irving Crystal said in the 1960s have been mugged by reality um, or as some people say just being mugged but you know being around this and seeing it's like I just this is not sustainable at this current rate but I'm going to tell you something else about New York that is um, it's kind of great but I had a revelation oh. tonight because in New York um, we have um, the US Open which is um, out there in Forest Hills and Queens um, and I've been watching it um and there's been some amazing tennis by the way and i've been more obsessed with tennis this summer than i ever have been and so you know i've been watching a lot and so i'm watching the u.s open and a couple of incredible matches and then tonight um i was like all right i'll watch the women (laughs) (laughs) slower game but i'll watch it no actually i really i love what he says um and uh yeah you do uh, it's current. Well, it depends on who's playing. Um, uh, tonight, uh, Coco Gauff is uh, uh, playing uh, the American versus uh, this uh, Czech. I think she's Czech, Carolina Macho- Machova or something. Um, I don't know if she's seated. She is she? No, she's tenth seed. But uh, so I started watching this match, and I'm you know mucking about. And here's the thing that's really interesting is that I, for a really long time, was like, maybe climate change is a hoax. <laughs> I've never said that. Maybe it's a hoax. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. But tonight, I realized that it wasn't. Yeah. And the way that I figured it out was I was watching the match, and it's, it stopped. And it stopped for 40 minutes because a guy who looks like Pedro in Napoleon Dynamite decided to glue his feet to the ground and start screaming during the match in a climate protest and I was like, "What? It worked! I, I got it!" Every the whole stadium was like, "Yes, I get it now!" And they're clapping, and they were like, "This is the best thing 
that ever happened. And now I'm going to start donating uh, all my money to the guy that makes those fracking movies. That's, I think, what happened. Or here's the alternate thing that I just saw, like on the when I before we started recording. They got him off of the, I don't know, they cut his feet off or something with an angle grinder and just pulled him out. <laughs> but my thought when I saw this was, what they should do is they should just, because uh, the, the problem is they'll keep screaming if you leave him there, right? Is that you just, if there's a doctor around and you just give him a shot of something that knocks him out <laughs> and they just put a bag over him. <laughs> And he starts coming to you. Give him another shot until the match is over. Because it could be a long match. It's like the, you put the, the bag over him wife. in the right way. Um, he's not going to come to at all. Well, that's fine. So. That's <laughs> a one less person polluting the planet by his estimation. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Oh so I god. learned the the climate the climate the climate crisis <laughs> is real tonight because I was watching tennis and these people they're so good at making people like them by like you know lying in the road when you're trying to get to work or you know your wife's pregnant or something i was going to the hospital. i was going this is always a thing it's always like someone but the best one and and nancy rommelman our, our friend i sent her one of these because it was i don't know relevant to somebody's maybe in portland or something and we've been sending them back and forth of our <laughs> our favorite ones of these people on the road who block traffic and like you know like tie themselves together and and oh, you know why I sent it to Nancy um, was because it was the native yes, police, the Paiutes. the Paiute police in Nevada, who have a different code of, of conduct. Um, I don't. Th- I, maybe we're gonna get Radley Balco to write a book about them or something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they seem to be a little more liberal in the use of force, and they just were like just grabbed these people and like pulled guns on them by the way yeah and just started like be and like just drove Dro- through, through the road yeah, after like, driving like, through <laughs> yeah it was amazing but the like, roadblock but honestly yeah. though this they're trying to get everyone's attention on climate change or something literally who do you know that would watch that video and would not be cheering when they drove through the <laughs> i mean how much were they cheering tonight at the u.s open when 15 cops finally got the guy out of the stadium i mean yeah and yeah. the guy was being shouted at on the way out. People I mean, were like, you fucking prick. It was amazing. It was great. <laughs> These people are, are, have a knack for embracing exactly the wrong strategies yes, and yeah. slogans in order to advance their agenda. Everything that yeah. they do makes it look like it is some sort of um, counter-counter um, espionage effort to actually undermine their ostensible goals. Um, I, I did want to say briefly, the Airbnb uh, stealth prohibition in New York those reforms, quote unquote, were advocated for by the hotel industry, who was outraged that people were operating these Airbnbs essentially as hotels inside of their their homes without having to pay the really onerous uh, hotel taxes in New York City when you check into a hotel, which can be really, really astronomical. And yeah, people were happy to circumvent those, both the people who were visiting New York and staying in these Airbnbs, like myself occasionally, um, mm-hmm. and the people who were renting out these properties and man, this is a legit problem. If you've got a mortgage that you have been trying to pay on your, you know, nice, uh, townhouse in bed or whatever else, and you can no longer rent out that property short term and help to make your nut, like this is going to create meaningful problems for a lot of New Yorkers. And I, I have mm-hmm. to imagine that those consequences, um, are, are going to be things that people start to talk about and maybe there'll be some ramifications at the uh, voting booth. But I, I wonder if we shouldn't 
pivot. Just start formally. selling drugs, by the way, if you can't do that. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care about that. You can set up a weed store like wherever you want in New York now. Well, you could, so but they've yeah, been but shutting those down arbitrarily as well. <laughs> Um, but I wonder true. if we shouldn't pivot formally to uh, over to New York and to talk specifically about Mayor Adams, who had this press conference. I guess it was yesterday, um, and the video has been making the rounds. I think it was even this morning, essentially actually. giving. It, it was it, it wasn't morning, a, yeah, yeah, it was a yeah. town hall up in the uh, Upper West Side. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, and yeah, that's why today's the day that broke New York. It starts with Mayor Adams literally saying, "New York as you know it is not going to last." The city is being mm -hmm. ruined. <laughs> it's. I mean, is it yeah. is it worth playing this audio? Yeah, it? Because ahead. it is. It's. It's actually bizarre. Like how much he sounds like Donald Trump. We turned this city around in twenty months, and then what happened? Started with a madman down in Texas. Decided he wanted to bus people up to New York City. Hundred and ten thousand migrants. We have to feed, clothe, mm -hmm. house, educate we the have to. children, have to. wash their laundry sheets, what? <laughs> Sorry. give them everything they need, health care. And this team here, we stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into nope neighborhoods it. and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to well, a neighborhood near that. you. Mm -hmm. Well, we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crisis and we're receiving no support and let me tell you something new yorkers never in my life have i had a problem that i did not see an ending to i don't see an ending <laughs> to this i don't see an ending to this this issue will destroy new york city destroy new york city we're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just getting Venezuela. Now we're getting Ecuador. <laughs> now we're getting Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're getting uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. Wow. I mean, he sounds he sounds upset about that, which that couldn't yeah. be possible because I remember yeah. Mayor Adams talking about uh, New York being open, an open city, a sanctuary city, a place that cares, that is willing to, you know, New York values mean being open to people coming. Um, and he is he is singing from a different hymnal. And it, it mm -hmm. sounds when he talks about like New York City is over, he, he referred to this issue. I think he's mm -hmm. talking about migrants coming mm -hmm. to New York. When he talks about it, it sounds like he's describing an invasion. Mm -hmm. And that can't yeah, be right. Know. It's as if because I know that coming. that is but a I lie. Like, <laughs> it's also it's also great that he, he talks about them like they're sports teams. Yeah. <laughs> First we had Venezuela and then Venezuela's playing Ecuador. Ecuador's losing and then the Russians are coming. It's like what? The Dying. Russians, oh, Russians speak what? Russian speakers coming across the southern border. Yeah, no, I mean Which, I've been up in the um up in Midtown and seen just tons of Russians sleeping all over the place. <laughs> Not true. Um yeah, but it's gotten crazy too because you know, uh, Mayor Adams obviously the uh, former police officer and the head of what what was that group like? 75,000 assholes in law enforcement or something, the group that the he was a part of. Name, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he, um, so he, he understands that the cops really don't like this. Obviously there was a, a story the other day of just a video of it too, of um, 
cop going to confiscate, obviously they're not arresting these people. There's nothing they can do about it. They can confiscating an illegal scooter or something some, you know, like the ones that the delivery guys drive that can be incredibly dangerous because they're silent and they go really fast and they almost hit you all the time. And they were taking this thing back and the woman that they were trying to take it from like attacked the police officer, like slapped the cop. And then there was like people fighting and it's just, it's chaos. It's not as if that these are uh, people that are, you know, German Jews leaving Germany in 1939 and 1940 and just patiently waiting in the train station trying to get to safety. It's, a, it's chaotic. And it's chaotic in a way that has become kind of, like a, a far too criminal for the, the police in New York. And you see a lot of uh, talk about this amongst people who are paying attention, attention to these things by look on Nextdoor, look on uh, Reddit too, and people who are doing the throat clearing too because they're New Yorkers. And they're progressives and they're like, you know, look, I, I, I love everybody <laughs> in theory, but now they're actually here. I'm not sure that I like it so much. And um, it's a pretty astonishing thing. One know. of the things that he's doing, and it's really weird because this is the same guy who I believe it was one week ago, he organized a last minute rally um, to show that New York welcomes all the migrants um, because he was worried <laughs> about Curtis Sliwa of the Guardian Angels and all the all the people in Staten Island getting a little lippy whenever they saw a migrants uh, going to... By the way, don't you wish you voted for Curtis Lee at yeah, this point? Uh, <laughs> how do you know I didn't, is my question. Um, <laughs> you thought you were voting for Ron Cooper. Uh No, like, uh, they wanted to show, well, we're not like those people. But he's been, been seesawing. There was a tell right there in that <clears throat> clip that you played. Not just the this will destroy the city I am mayor of, which is an absolutely weird thing for a mayor to say. And I would, mm -hmm. I dare say it's irresponsible. Um, having lived mm -hmm. through the nineties, which were really bad in a lot of places in the eighties too. Uh, mm -hmm. the mayors of those cities were like, they're trying to put a stiff upper lip, brave face, whatever. And like trying to solve problems. And uh, part of that is like, you don't tell the world that you're governing a hellhole. Um, but the tell in that little thing was like, you know, I've been telling everyone um, that it's going to come to a community near you. Um, he's been orchestrating the coming to a community near you because he's playing this game in Correct. a very unsubtle way of he wants to lobby the federal government to get relief, um, both relief in terms of the policy that the basically the catch and release policy mm -hmm. of asylum seekers in America, which is kind of, you know, it's like fundamentally untenable. You come in, ask for asylum. Um, and because the whatever special order um, was lifted, uh, that had uh, allowed the Border Patrol to kind of unconstitutionally just set them back into Mexico that had been lifted because it was a COVID era rule. So you could come in, apply for asylum, and they're like, cool, show up again in six to whatever number of weeks. And then you're kind of free to move about the country in the meantime. That's a weird policy. It's a weird loophole. It's, there's many reasons for that loophole, but it is weird and you have to acknowledge that. So, um, yeah, you can stop that policy, but he wants a bunch of money. He just wants a lot of federal relief to help this thing, um, to help, uh, you know, deal with 110,000 people. And so the way that he thinks, and he's been kind of unsubtle about this, the way to do this is to make sure that it hits everywhere to make sure that it, wherever Michael Moynihan wants to play tennis, there's going to be a migrant <laughs> in the tennis court. No, that's not true. <laughs> it's absolutely not true. Well, because you know where I'm playing, playing tennis, it. and you're where I am right now. <laughs> it's pretty far from where all that crap is. That's the thing. <laughs> just to be honest. And that, 
Well, the thing is, is you know, the interesting thing about that, um, you know, he says that madman in Texas mm -hmm. who, um, you know, has his own problem, obviously, but he has, it's kind of like, you know, when you invaded Russia, they used to call it the great feather pillow. You punched it in one place and it would come out and they're so big, it would, you, they, people could just keep on retreating and it was very hard to win. This is essentially what's happening with Texas. They're the first line there. And you can be overwhelmed pretty quickly, but New York can't, what's New York going to do? Send them people to Maine, to Massachusetts? <laughs> keep, I mean, they can go north from, from Texas. And I, I understand that you think Governor Abbott, Abbott is a madman, but he is actually calling the bluff of these people and doing it quite, quite um, well, I would say, because this is, as Matt points out, has been the line. We welcome everybody. We are the big hearted people, unlike those knuckle draggers in Texas. And then you see what Texas has to deal with. Um, New York is having to deal with that now, and they're not uh, quitting themselves very well. But what what he when he says the madman in Texas, he knows he. You're, I assume he wanted to say Abbott's name, but he couldn't remember yeah, it. I can't. But either. What I, that's my guess. But what he is <laughs> that address is to in the per, the people who he's criticizing is the Biden administration. When he's talking about relief, he's talking about federal relief. He doesn't say federal. He's like, we need relief. No one's paying attention to us. He's talking about the president and the president and the president's administration and is not saying it openly, but I suspect that if this goes on much longer, this is going to be, you know, a Ford to the city drop dead moment. You I, know? And but if you, you don't know, know what that is, look it up. But you know, it, it's interesting. I, I mean, we all remember when Greg Abbott first started uh, busing and flying migrants out of Texas to sanctuary cities, particularly places like New York. Um, and that, that, uh, effort was quickly replicated by other governors, including mm -hmm. Jared Polis of Colorado. Oh, really? Um, mm -hmm. Which, yeah, yeah, which is very interesting because once that happened, it made it much harder to suggest that this was somehow some sort of racist policy or monstrous. And it's hard for me to appreciate how it's monstrous to give people money um, or to fly them to, it, it, provided this is what's happening to places they actually want to be inside of the country. One might call that sort of policy generous and generally kind of favorable from the standpoint of someone who favors um, migration um, or a more generous uh, uh, immigration policy. Um, but obviously there are some complications there. Um, Jared Polis started to, to send people who were coming into Colorado to New York and Chicago and when he did that, there was a letter written by Adams, which was also signed by the then mayor of um, Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, um, yes. both of whom were urging him to stop this immediately. Um, and he did. Um, but it's just such a Why? weird, if they go to Chicago, issue. they're just going to be all gunned down <laughs> for the safe, for their own safety, <laughs> for their own safety. Um, but no, we've seen those scenes with the angry town halls in Chicago, as well oh, as yes. New York, where people yeah. are, are hearing about migrants being settled in their communities, their, their children going to their schools. And these people who one imagines are democratic voters who had uh, expressed a great deal of generosity of spirit towards, um, uh, uh migrants, previously um, are having a, a very strong NIMBY reaction to yes. actually having to endure the kind of circumstances that people on the border are facing. And, you know, I am generally pro-immigration. Um, I would even go so far as to say open borders, but my, my sense, and I think it's a very reasonable and consistent libertarian sensibility is if you have an overly generous entitlement state, it makes it very, very hard to actually have that sort of open policy. And I don't actually think that the weird 
uh, limbo that we're in where we do have these overly generous policies and now people are clamoring for very restrictive um, immigration um, policy is, uh, is actually the best kind of place to be. Um, I, I would imagine that if you actually had a more neutral policy, that the kind of people who would actually choose to come here um, and the kind of infrastructure that'd be necessary societally, culturally, for people to actually come to the country, make a way for themselves um, in a way that's actually sustainable um, and more in line with uh, just kind of generally like peaceful and orderly uh, integration would actually be a hell of a lot more likely to arise. I mean, what you get now are these like tent cities, these makeshift towns that end up crop popping up on either side of the border as people are trying to figure out what the hell to do, hoping that they can get a ride to someplace where they actually know someone um, and maybe find uh, some sort of connections. Um, so it's a, it's a really complicated issue, but I say all that. And what I actually wanted to talk about was this story um, that I sent you guys from the Los Angeles times, which suggested that the Biden administration is considering forcing migrants to, who are coming into the country, um, and who are being processed and seeking asylum to stay in Texas or close to the border or something like that so that they can no longer migrate to places like New York, um, or Chicago or Denver, um, while they're waiting for their kind of legal situation to be sorted out, which is the current policy that you can in fact do that. And it's been a couple of decades, as I understand it, since anyone has tried to meaningfully force people to stay close to the border. And it's a weird policy, um, but it obviously policy. makes a hell of a lot of sense for a democratic president because it's sure. kind of a twofer. You get to, you get to put yeah. more burden on one of the red states um, and it also makes it seem like you're being overly, overly generous and supportive because you're you're not sending them back home, at least because they're not Haitians, I guess. It's a three um, who are I mean, currently cra- being the, flown back home. It, the craziest thing about this is, of course, I mean, just top level craziness is to see the number of people um, from south of the the, the border of, of, of Texas um, and go all the way south as far as you can go. Uh, to see that the number of people that want desperately to come to this white supremacist hellhole, the worst place <laughs> on the planet, the most nasty racist place on earth, mysteriously they just want to come. Very but strange. But yeah, I, I, you know, it, it, it's, it is a um, very, very weird situation when you tell somebody. that. And, and by the way, the Chicago thing is important because it's one of these many, many things. Immigration is one of these issues that constantly blows up the narrative of the the kind of mainstream media narrative about what people believe based on skin pigmentation, which is an insane way of looking at the world. And we've talked about this for many, many years on this podcast, but it's usually brought into kind of bright relief when something like this happens. So for instance, when I went down to Star County and Texas and was on the border and uh, didn't see a white person, a a non-Hispanic person, non-Tejano person, uh, somebody that spoke uh, uh, English as a first language, basically nobody. They were all Tom Tancredos. They were all, you know, going MAGA. They were all very frustrated about the border policy of the current administration. And they were worried about their safety of their family, people like coming through their backyards. It was incredible like how, to watch this stuff. And you say, well, you know, I've heard about this. I've heard that people in Texas are kind of swinging a little bit in this way and, and not just mm. white Texans, people that, you know, the expectation for people that live in New York City and carry, you know, canvas strand bags 
full of copies of The New Yorker that they never read. Those people tend to believe that, well, they, they all love each other. They're all, you know, Spanish speakers. They must, you know, take them in and, you know, make them paella or something and then just set them <laughs> loose. And that's not, of course, the case. But the reason I bring this up is the Chicago thing that you pointed out, uh, the video of this town hall. Mm-hmm. Nobody was white there. People saying, these people are coming to our communities. Take care of us first. That is something that, as you pointed out, Camille, when you hear um, Mayor Adams, sounds a bit MAGA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you see it, it's actually inner city people in Chicago who are civically engaged. They're people who come to an alderman's meeting, and the alderman, who is a black alderman, calls this meeting for this purpose. It's not just you know the one that was on the, the docket for the month. He called it because we got to talk about all these people that are coming to the community because you guys are upset about it. Now, the frame, of course, uh, is, again, to what Camille says, kind of about the welfare state in a way, is that you're not taking care of us. We have people here that don't have money, don't have homes, don't have um, you know generous welfare payments, but you're giving them to these people. Um, who've just decided to break the law and come here and then you are, you know, garlanding them with all sorts of uh, prizes because you're a sanctuary city, you're this. It's a really interesting thing to watch because it does constantly collapse this idea that that people, people in New York City who um, write in for the Atlantic or for New York Times or something, they all think the same thing. <clears throat> and they believe that people across the country who share their skin color or their gender or their gender preference or identity think the same thing. It was an amazing <laughs> thing for me when I was younger and I realized that every gay man that I met was so right wing. I was like, are there any of you guys who are not literally like Barry Goldwater? Because like, <laughs> I just met people that worked at media organizations that were like, you know, this is, these are the groups that are historically oppressed and they're blah, blah, blah. You know the routine. But I think this is an interesting issue because it, 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 if you want to see more people surge towards uh, MAGA, and of course, I mean, it, boring to keep on repeating this, but you know, Donald Trump's share of the vote amongst Hispanics and black voters increased in 2020. Not by a small amount, too. It's like a pre- pretty interesting increase for Donald Trump. And I think that was one of the issues that there was a poll uh, came out this week from Siena College, I think it was, of all of New Yorkers, not just in the New York City, but I think something like 82% of people thought uh, the migrant crisis is a real problem, kind of a pain in their ass. Um, This also, I mean, Michael, you're talking about like Adams can't send them to New Hampshire or Maine or whatever. He can't send them to New York. He tried. um, And the Mm -hmm. last county that was still accepting New York City migrants, um, Erie County this week said, ah, that's enough. Uh, that's enough. These guys are too criminal. <laughs> Great, it's Erie County. So, you know, who knows? But like, uh, they are saying that. I think it's important to, I mean, Camille's idea that it is a um, an overly generous welfare state um, um, can be true through Camille's lights. It is not a comparatively generous wel- welfare state. We don't have as generous a welfare state as most of you know, OECD countries or the you know rich mm-hmm. industrialized West, but I think that also allows you to drill down what makes New York City yeah, different than most too. people. Yeah, it's exactly what we said at the top. Is that uh, and you know the, what is the number of of actual Greg Abbott transited people here? I think it's like ten, eleven thousand. It's it's a real number, right? But it's not a hundred and ten thousand. Um, and if you mm-hmm. s- you look at some of the reporting that's happened. Recently, including there's a pretty good piece in New York Magazine uh, about the kids selling uh, 
uh, candy and, uh, and stuff in the subways and just like figuring out their family mm-hmm. dynamics and how that's all working, um, is, uh, that they have all heard that there's a right to shelter in New York city. Uh, you know, th- mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, more people here who speak Spanish than in most places. It still doesn't mean it's, it is as perfectly able to absorb or as well able to absorb as say Miami was during the Mariel Boatlift, which was also a gigantic, I think the number is the same. It's 110,000 people um, or something mm-hmm. around those lines, which was a huge trauma experienced. And people thought there's no way that Miami could assimilate that. And there's been a ton of studies done about this. Um, and speaking in a broad way, Miami did successfully assimilate this weird, you know, boat lift of people, uh, even pl- they were all Cubans. They're all Cubans That's coming to, you know, basically yeah. the capital of Cuba, Cuba. the exile capital yeah, exactly. of Cuba. <laughs> yeah. Long Beach, much where smaller, my hometown. Much smaller population overall, too. Uh, my hometown, mm-hmm. Long Beach, um, uh, uh, has, I think, the second or third largest um, population of Cambodians in the world um, because they came mm-hmm. from the uh, the boat people, as we called them charmingly sure. uh, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, Westminster uh, uh, in uh, Orange County, all, all the Vietnamese went, went there. Um, it can be, uh, it can definitely be a problem. And one of the things that's attracting them to New York is that, that specific generous welfare policy. And Adams, to his credit, is trying to change that. And he's talked about it. It does require, I think, he's looking for some sort of emergency edict, but it's, that still wouldn't change the problem. It's just going to put more people in tents. Um, and for everyone who thinks that, you know, uh, you're listening to, uh, Irving crystal, it's funny that Michael, you said that because before we started tonight, I was going to like tell an elaborate joke about how like Moynihan is, is in the space now where neoconservatives were in the 1970s. And then you just went ahead and like started volunteering about Irving Crystal. Let's strangle everybody. Uh, I I just, I have an enormous painting of James Q. Wilson above my bed. Um, But you you know, the thing about Trump is that when you have somebody that lies as much as Donald Trump and with the ease of Donald Trump, you slip into this very, very dangerous territory as a Mm. journalist of assuming everything he says is false and then becoming very high-minded about it and saying like, oh my God, Trump says, I'm going to read you a tweet. I'll send you this tweet. This is from 2019. There's a fact check, New York Times fact check. President Trump, and I guess it's the State of the Union because it's, yeah, February 5th, 2019. President Trump described illegal border crossings as a, quote, urgent national crisis response. This is false. (laughs) Okay. It's a fact check? Washington Post. Washington Post, one week later, um, it's hard to, this is, the, this is an unsigned editorial from the Washington Post, it's hard to single out any single event in Donald Trump's presidency as the most untethered from truth and reality, precisely what I was just saying. This is what they get into this habit. Still, Friday's news conference in which Trump tried to defend his end run around Congress based on a make-believe emergency at the southern border. <laughs> a make-believe, and so that is so important to them. It's crazy. The headline on this is Trump's make-believe crisis is untethered from truth and reality. Around the same time, Jennifer Rubin, who never um, ceases to amaze me, uh, said it was a fake crisis of the southern border. If you want to spend... Th- that, by the way, did I know those things offhand? No, I searched for them while Matt was talking. It took me about seven seconds. That, if you want to find more of those, they go well past 2019. In 2020, 2021, particularly when Biden becomes president, it's a make-believe crisis. You allow this to happen by saying, well, the man lies so much. 
and he wants to build a wall and he does, you know, reprehensible things, which truly are reprehensible, like the Muslim ban, et cetera. And so none of it could be true. All you had to do is go down and, you know, I mean, mysteriously, AOC is no longer wearing white jeans and crying at the border. <laughs> she seems to have forgotten about that. I don't know what's happening. Well, it's, it's she, after, all she has to do is go to Midtown. Labor Day. Her, so, yeah, exactly. This exactly. Is why. Yeah, yeah, she's wearing jeans, like regular jean shorts, <laughs> acid wash jean shorts, crying in her constituency in Queens. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is a remarkable thing that people denied. I mean, it's inc it's incredible. The, the Trump years were so deranging to people because they assumed because the man that they were opposed to was so bad that everything they did and everything that they said there was some sort of justification for if he was on the other side. And that is true about COVID and everything Trump said about COVID. That is true about immigration stuff. It's like, you know, if you want to be uncharitable to Donald Trump, which I typically am, um, you could just say broken clock. But the broken clock, you know, that's twice a day. It seemed to be a little more than twice a day with a lot of this stuff when when, when you look back. It's on also it. there's his I think his solutions were often terrible, but I the critiques the weren't focus on the problem is not always wrong. And the critiques of him typically, uh even about this issue, which is uh arguably his most contentious, right? He did the Muslim ban or the banning of people from seven predominantly Muslim countries. Uh, the travel ban, uh, mm -hmm. right in the first week of his administration, first month of his administration, yep. um, and then it was sort of clawed back and became this this thing. Um, but people go towards the rhetoric when he says, you know, they come from shithole countries, where he says, um, you know, they're not, they're not sending us our, our they're best, not sending their best, whatever. They, they're yeah. looking mm -hmm. towards that. When if you look at what he did that had the most uh, impact on the policy on the issue of immigration. Most of that stuff didn't really take effect until 2019 and 2020, partly because it takes a while to make big regulatory changes. You have to go through mm -hmm. a formalized process. Um, but he gutted the legal immigration system um, and mm -hmm. he gutted the legal immigration numbers. And he basically stopped the refugee intake system. We went from, you know, averaging 100,000 plus uh, refugees coming in from the world during Reagan and Carter um, and uh, and so on to around 20,000, 15,000, I think even pretty low under under Trump at a time when um, we were in the middle of a worldwide refugee doubling in less than uh, a decade. So um, he did a lot of that and a lot of that contributes to what we're seeing because it creates um, all the pressure on the loopholes in the system. So suddenly people uh, are like, okay, I can use domestic abuse as a, as a way to get asylum. If I'm coming from Nicaragua, um, <laughs> then they're going to do it. And I'm not, to, I'm not saying that there isn't domestic abuse. There's probably a ton of it. Show no, but at this point, all. it's literally a region of Ike Turner's. It's can't be that much. <laughs> Sorry to say, but you know, that's just. But like the the, the critique of Trump almost never went to the actual policy, and those actual policies yeah. are more interesting, contentious, uh, hard to solve, including under Biden. And a lot of the Biden administration policies on trade and immigration have been continuations. He started to finally tweak the immigration big rules about six, seven, eight months ago. Uh, and some of those things, as I was mentioning before, were like emergency things that you could no longer continue like legally because it was a COVID measure and you can't do that. But here's the thing about the COVID measure yeah. for a half second. Um, and then I'll stop filibustering is just that 
there's an inherent fairness issue that's just going to overwhelm this everywhere. It happened in Chicago. It's happening in New York right now. And the one that I'm seeing in my mentions of people who've been interested in this uh, New York City public school system is as follows. The 21,000 migrants who showed up to school today as New York City uh, public school year opened, 21,000, they didn't have to show any vaccination records records at all. (laughs) Um, This is in living memory. We all remember recently, you couldn't play extracurricular sports unless you showed that you had the COVID-19 vaccination at age 12, um, let alone vaccination to all the other uh, infectious diseases. These people don't have to show them. And man, are people pissed off about that. And look, by, mm-hmm. by the way, at schools also, I mean, just on a practical basis, you have um, 21,000 kids coming into school. Um, I would say 97 to 98% of them, just the guests, do not speak English, which is a prohibitive thing when you're learning. And it requires a lot of extra attention and mm-hmm. it requires different pedagogy. And that is pretty taxing on teachers. So you're actually, it's not as if everyone is just coming from Nebraska or something, and we don't have the exact, there's not the same shared cultural values, it's slightly different. This is very, very, very difficult. But to to your point, Matt, I, I mean, I agree in the sense that, you know, the process, there should be a more sensible process for people to come to this country as immigrants. I mean, also as, as you know, refugees or, you know, political but anything, the way it happens now is obviously is a, too, far too loosey goosey, and it doesn't really even happen now. It's like we will process you, and by the way, just go. And if you ever, if you don't come back, it doesn't really make a difference. We don't really give a shit. So that thing can be a bit a bit of a problem. But the thing that's more troubling about it is once you establish the kind of you know utopian idiotic policies, and they are utopian and they are idiotic. And I'm sorry that there's we hopefully have some people on who are far more uh, generous about these things to, to talk to. And I know we're trying to get some people who can defend these things. Um, but those policies where, you know, you have the right to go, just show up illegally. And I'm sorry that that is a thing. It is not, this is not a legal process. These people do not have the legal right to be here. And you know, if I, as I've done stay overstayed my three month tourist visa in Europe and been admonished on the way out and said, you're banned from coming back. And it's a threat and all these things. And you've like, oh, Jesus, you have to get out after three months. People take this stuff very seriously. You know, obviously just come in, you get to go to school, et cetera. Once those policies are established, it doesn't make a difference what the actual like principles of allowing people in a legal way are, because why bother? What is the purpose of actually going through something that's even a halfway legal channel? Because there's something you noticed in a European migration crisis. People would c- come to Greece, right? People would come to Italy. This is the two main points that people were coming in. And where did they end up? Now, these are people mostly from pretty warm climates, right? From, by and large, right? They would end up in Sweden, very, very far from Greece, right? It's not an easy trek to get there from Greece or from southern Italy to Sweden, which is also very unforgiving when it comes to climate. It is dark all winter, it is bright all summer, and it's never warm and it's always really cold, right? Why did they go there? Because much like New York City, knowing that you can get a $225 room, uh, hotel room uh, paid for by somebody and you don't have to pay for school or anything like that, um, people knew that there was an incredible generosity about Sweden's uh, uh, migrant policy. And so what ended up happening was that the people from the um, far-right party, the Sweden Democrats, 
were going to Greece or having people in Greece and probably some of their sister parties in places like Greece handing out flyers that were saying to, to, that Sweden doesn't have these policies. They, they, we're not going to give you anything. This is actually a fake, it's, which is a lie. They were going to, but they were trying to discourage people because everyone, it doesn't take long for this stuff to pass through um, this community of migrants saying, you know where you go. This is the trick. I mean, they know. I mean, like they know where to cross. Trust me, they know where to go after they cross to get the best deal. And so it doesn't matter what kind of sensible immigration policies at this point that you you uh, put in place, because the not so sensible ones are the ones that dominate um, the kind of conversation amongst migrants. So they're coming. I mean, it's like, you know, oh, they're being put on buses. Yeah, it's just making it a lot easier for them. But trust me, they'll find the places that are more hospitable to, the, hospitable to them eventually. What What do you guys think accounts for the the difference in coverage, the difference of perhaps approach on the part of the White House with respect to Haitian refugees? Um, we, we've seen a, a number of them continue to be um, flown back to Haiti, mm -hmm. a place where the Biden administration, or at least the State Department, I believe, mm -hmm. earlier this week, or was maybe late last week, actually, um, said, if you are an American in Haiti, you should get the hell out because things mm -hmm. are very bad. And I mean, things are definitely very bad. Since the earthquake and the assassination, uh, things have only gone oh, yes. from bad to worse. There have been some really heinous massacres, like something like 50-odd people were killed um, during one of these massacres. And in response to that massacre, there was a, a massive demonstration where you had a priest leading a, a large co flock, his congregation, um, in a sort of stop the violence protest, and the local gang leader um, ordered his uh, minions to gun these people down. I mean, that is the kind of horrible awfulness that is taking place on a regular basis. And the Biden administration is somewhat quietly, um, with not a hell of a lot of coverage from the media, um, just shipping people back there um, as this goes yeah. on. And, and granted, I mean, the, the United States doesn't have an unlimited bu budget to support people coming here from any place. But generally the rule has been, if you manage to get here from places like Cuba, for example, you can kind of stay. Um, but there's a very different approach there um, with Haiti. I mean, is that, is that something that is easily explicable? I, you're, you're catching me uh, flat footed a little bit, but um, from what I remember, there was a change in policy from Cuba, Haiti. And I want to add a third country just for rule of three reasons if nothing else, because they were trying to stem <laughs> yeah. the, I mean, Cuba has always had preferential uh, treatment yeah. and then they had the wet foot. But yes, but the wet foot, foot, policy, foot policy was ended. Was, was yeah. ended. Yeah. And was then right, there was yeah. a workaround and Cubans like, who are our favorite listeners, of course, um, uh, <laughs> literally, they're just the best. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, after, after the Jews. Um, Cuban Jews. Yeah. Yes. What I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's Cuban Jews too. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, I mean, yes, absolutely. Uh, the very best. They're the best ones, okay? <laughs> they had, after the uh, wet foot, dry foot thing ended, they um, started coming through the southern border. So, like, suddenly, yeah. Cuban's yeah. like, all right. As you should. We're not dumb. Yeah. We'll go this way. Um, and keep in mind that the basic rule for Cubans when they walk into America is that you get a check. I mean, you talk about welfare systems like Cuba, we are generous that you got, you have right to money. Um, and there are plenty of like a, a networks uh, there that's very specific to Cuba. But those rules were changed. And I want to say they were changed uh, in the Biden administration um, or they were tweaked in the Biden administration specific to that. I believe from Haiti, I, I had thought 
um, that it was changed in a way to increase um, significantly the number of legal immigrants. So it's the, the Matt Welch preferred method of always dealing with the illegal immigration is to have more of the legal stuff. Um, so what that might pair with is that if you're still trying to do it illegally, even though you're probably desperate and on a balsa wood raft, um, sorry, go back. Um, we have just created a bigger legal <laughs> place for you to do it. Do it that way. And if you can't, um, sorry, we can't be bothered. That's what I would guess that that is just off the top of my head. I mean, the Cuban one, which much like all of our Cuba policy is a relic of the Cold War. And it made a certain amount of sense at the time. And, you know, the, one of the reasons that I was much more um, understanding and accommodating and said for any Cuban that was washing up in um, Southern Florida that was like, allow them to stay was a couple of reasons. Number one was because they have, there's an infrastructure of the Cuban community that takes people in very quickly and they become amazingly successful and integrated into that community. Maybe not necessarily all of Florida, all the United States, it's a kind of little micro community of, of Havana in a free country. And that's always been a lot easier. I mean, I, I don't, I can't remember the numbers, but there was a thing that I read a while ago about, about Cuban welfare dependency being significantly lower. And I'm not sure if that's still the case or if I'm remembering that correctly. I think I'm remembering that correctly. But the other thing about it was sending people back to Cuba was also sending them back potentially to prison. Not to like, uh, you know, the country itself is a prison. It's a failed state. There's a lot of failed states around. And I hate to be, you know, a, a, a real Debbie Downer here that, you know, we can't solve the problem of every failed state in the region. And, you know, the, the solution to that obviously is not just fleeing it. It just becomes worse and worse and worse. But yeah, I think the ha Haiti policy is interesting because, and again, I'm a bit flat-footed on it too because I don't remember the actual details of the change in the Haitian policy. But the one thing that I think is true, and I don't think this is necessarily true for members of Congress who are who are constantly tub-thumping about this and making idiotic political speeches, I think it's true of the administration. The Biden administration is no different than any other administration. They would love to get all these people out. I don't think they're desperate to, you know, we're so big-hearted and, you know, they know that this is a problem. They know it's a problem for them amongst voters. They have an election coming up. They have incredibly low approval ratings. And if they could just, you know, kind of snap their fingers and all those people would disappear, they'd happily do it. Mm -hmm. It's not as if they're unbelievable humanitarians. It's like, oh, you know, we just need more cities like New York that will, you know, open up the hotels to everybody who comes from Venezuela and Nicaragua and Cuba, three countries that have the most sympathy for because they're countries that are unbelievably repressive in ways that, it, you know, I mean, the political opposition in, in Nicaragua, by the way, um, the number of whom were just deported and we took them. And I think that was a very smart thing to do because they're actual people, university students that were part of those, that uprising in Managua. Uh, but, you know, if it's everybody in Honduras, if it's everybody in Ecuador and El Salvador, it's not to ever say that the people that you come in contact with who, who come from those countries are usually the hardest working people you ever meet. And they're the people that you want working on your house and things like that. But when it comes to 21,000 kids entering the school system uh, this year, um, the first day of school, there's just a, a practical issue here that no one is talking about. And they're more, I mean, they're, they're talking about in the, in the sort of Staten Island protests. And if you haven't seen those, the people of Staten Island, the kind of Trumpiest of, of, uh, of New York City's boroughs, they're out protesting. Curtis Sliwa, the guardian angel head slash um, failed mayoral candidate slash uh, radio host, 
is there, um, you know, shaking his fist about this stuff. But, you know, in this city, it's just not an easy thing because it's not about like, oh, what is your opinion on immigration? Mm-hmm. What do you think immigration policy should be? That's, that's an academic. I mean, at this point, it's like, okay, so what do we do with 200 plus thousand people that we have to house, that we have to pay for, and that we have to clothe? I mean, it, Mayor Adams and what he said is, you know, incoherent and silly in certain parts. <laughs> he's saying, like, we have to iron their sheets. I don't know what the fuck he was talking about. He's <laughs> like, like, we have to make that oatmeal. Like, what are we talking about? We can be. We a, have we can... to give them new uh, shoes and, and laces. Where are these laces coming from? It's like, huh? I mean, we'll, we'll have a little bit of grace because he's talking extemporaneously and that, that can be a little bit challenging. Okay. Um, I, we should probably pivot to some, to some to some of the other. Kind of yeah, we should probably pivot to some of the other stuff. I will say yeah. um, it, it seems very unlikely that there will be any sort of bipartisan legislative action at the federal level anytime soon to address this. And immigration is a federal no. issue. It has a unique impact it on the states. Indeed. But this yeah. is for the feds to take care of. Um, so there's going to be a hell of a lot um, to talk about with respect to these issues. But I don't think there'll be much in the way of action um, no. which may have something to do with uh, President Biden's uh, falling uh, approval numbers, but probably not I the only thing. literally falling, which is also <laughs> very possible. That too, which also probably yeah. has something to do with his approval yeah. numbers. Did um, you, buddy, did you see him walk out of the Medal of Honor? Oh He's pooping no, himself. Let's that. just be honest Dude, about this. Do you know any 80-year-olds? I mean, that's what... In the middle of it, he just walks out. I know that. I love that. <laughs> I know the beeline. The response from... Kareem Jean-Pierre, um, the the greatest White House uh, spokesman of all time, just real, just skilled. She was like, "Oh, that was planned." I was like, "It was planned." Was like, fucking Andy Kaufman. She is he's an like, incredible, incredible he's, liar. He's Not because of the bit? quality I mean, of the lies, the just that? the volume. Um, yeah, but I, I will say, last thing I'd say about immigration quickly is I did um, host a uh, debate of sorts, and I'd, I'd probably more so describe it as a conversation um, between Alex Narasta and Jessica Vaughn for Barry Weiss on her Honestly podcast back in, I think, January of this year, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. And yeah. it's worth going back and checking that out. The terrain has not really shifted all that much. Um, since then, and I think there's a lot of rich, Who's interesting Jessica points Vaughan? being made there. Name? Why, why do I um, not know that? I'm forgetting what organization she's with, uh, but she is a very thoughtful, um, I'll say restrictionist um, yeah, when it comes yeah. to immigration and has uh, a, a very particular, um, I think, articulate take on exactly what she thinks is wrong is with American? American immigration policy. She is indeed American. Yes. Because most restrictionists in America tend not to be Americans. <laughs> she is. That's true. Like David Frum is a big, um, Andrew Sullivan, big restrictionist. And well, then, you know, people, I like mean, they're Americans which now, is run by a yes. British guy, Peter Brimlow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Vidar, I think, has different reasons for being restrictionist than than. Yeah, we just don't like black people. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they really strongly prefer certain people. Yes. I think is yes. perhaps. Wait, the, who was Virginia? Not that we need to be generous to them, but yeah, I did. Don't. I did want to talk about this poll situation, and we didn't we didn't chat about it before in our in our pregame. Um, but I'm seeing a, a couple of stories about this recent CNN poll um, yes. of, uh, of likely voters. And obviously, these yes. when when they're doing these polls, um, talking to people about who they would vote for in these like head-to-head matchups, we've obviously got to get beyond the Republican primary, which has a great deal to mm-hmm. do with who's actually likely to get um, the opportunity to go head-to-head with Biden. Um, but the polls seem to have two really interesting takeaways, one being that 
everyone knows Joe Biden is really old. And generally, this is not a thing that is being treated favorably, despite the fact that he and Donald Trump only have, what, two or three years separating them. Um, people are more likely <laughs> to be yeah. um, down on Joe Biden on account of his age than they are Donald Trump, which, you know, take that for what it is. Um, so his approval numbers are very low. But one candidate in particular amongst Republicans seems to be performing very well. Um, and it is Nikki yeah. Haley, um, which is, I think, really interesting. It seems to conform to what she said during that first Republican primary debate, which I know Correct, all of yeah. us were at least exposed to. Um, and there is, you know, an, an interesting hierarchy of candidates that seem to do a little bit better. I think Nikki's numbers were 49%. Versus 43% against Biden. Um, Mike Pence, Tim Scott um, were also yeah. performing pretty well against him. Um, and Chris Christie was similarly Christie performing, performing. The performing only one who didn't was Vivek. Yeah, Vivek did not did not no. seem to do to particularly well. I mean, relatively speaking, it's like one point difference. Um, and uh, even Governor Ron DeSantis, depends on who you ask how to pronounce it, um, was uh, neck and neck with Joe Biden. <laughs> Um, he says it different ways. I've I've looked into this. He says it different ways. Don't come for me. Let him figure out how his name is pronounced. Oh, he does. Oh, he does. We could no, no, no. He does introduce that into the DeSantis. It's a whole thing. Trump is getting on him for it. Like you know, have the courage of your own pronunciation. That's right. Sometimes he's right. Um, and Donald Trump, I believe, is also losing to is also losing to Biden in that head to head matchup. He's the only he and he and Vivek are the only ones. Yeah, but Haley was the only one for what it's worth. Is the only one to like get a little giraffe neck above Biden. Everyone else is pretty much close to yeah, yeah. Again, forty nine percent, forty three percent. So it's it's still very early days. It is not at all clear that you get that matchup. But I mean, if she's performing that well, it's hard to think she wouldn't at least get a very strong look for um, a running mate. Um, but, you know, maybe she actually manages to pull this I, out. But I don't know, how much running. do you guys, she, she how much sock do you put in this, guys? Look, you know, we talked about this in the previous episode, I think maybe the last one, when I asked Matt, you know, and Matt had a very good answer on this, and it was just like, how does one, in a situation where Republican primaries tend to favor the extremes, the crazy, the the Trumps of the world, um, how do we get out of that situation? And Matt had the very good answer. Well, this is democracy. This is how it works and you can't get around <laughs> it. But that when you look at this poll, mm -hmm. you realize that, geez, if we could only, you know, eliminate that system and people just said, like, pick the person you want here that you think would be most likely to beat Joe Biden. It, it is of all the people running in this poll, if this polls any indication, and I think that, you know, it basically tracks with you know, what I've been seeing and have seen for, for, for a while now is that it's kind of an anybody but Trump because, you know, there's 20, there's a 20 odd percent of, of self-identified Republican voters. And this is not people that are registered Republicans. They're people that tell pollsters that they tend to or likely to vote Republican, say that they will not vote for Donald Trump any, under any circumstances, mm. meaning they'll probably stay home. And of course, there's going to be Democrats that feel the same thing about Joe Biden because there's some people that swung to Joe Biden in 2020, just to get rid of Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. You've performed your service. Now it's time to go. <laughs> You're, you don't even know which way to get off the stage. Sometimes you don't even make it to the stage. You face plant on the stage. And this, we just can't have this at this point. I mean, the incredible thing, I was thinking about this today, of that if Joe Biden wins this election, it's like, is he too old? Well, I sent you guys this clip from an Evan Osnos article in The New Yorker in 2014. Mm. 
And it was 2014. They were like, you know, and the issue of Joe Biden's age. What, and I was like, wait, that was almost a decade ago. <laughs> this was a conversation <laughs> in the New Yorker where they're like, is Joe Biden too old? It's like, yes, he's too old. And then <laughs> we talk about, is he too old? Now we're, we're constantly living in the political moment. Let's think about if he wins at the other end of his second term. He's going to be 640 years old. Yeah. He's going, it's, you know, long beard. He's going to look like Noam Chomsky looks now with like a long white beard and just eyes darting We're around. We're the vice president this who's not, less popular than Dick Cheney. Who was finally asked today uh, by somebody at CBS, like, are you ready to be president if, if uh, your boss slides off this mortal coil? And uh, can you do an impersonation? She of said answer? yes, but I mean, <laughs> she was like, the buses and the school. <laughs> <laughs> I was that little girl. Wait. Yeah, I was. The, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. We have <laughs> the answers yeah. for the time <laughs> that we are living in. Who for this doesn't time? love spaghetti? <laughs> what? What, are you, what are you talking about, lady? I love Venn diagrams. I love and yellow so school great. buses. Sometimes Who doesn't love overlap? <laughs> <laughs> one of the it's so funny when people say like why do people hate her so much it's like it's kind of inexplicable it's just you have to listen to her speak yes. like god it's I kind like of Tupac. she's like vivek by the way. <laughs> yeah is she like vivek vivek has people who like him <laughs> yeah, but, I, don't know yeah that, I guess she doesn't i don't know who likes her in the building is your podcast like from yeah maybe, but uh i, I think yeah. he's gonna have <laughs> but he's just he's gonna have the largest like, uh, negative numbers out of this uh, process, <laughs> if he if he hasn't already, my God, uh, he. Well, that was the thing about the debate. It was like Vivek had, uh, you know, thirty percent approval, and then he went uh, to thirty five, and he had zero percent disapproval, and he went to thirty five. <laughs> it was just like you know, you know, that second number is kind of more important Josh than the first. Josh Barrow <laughs> had a pretty mean uh, 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 piece about him. I think called the section guy, which is some maybe Harvard term. Um, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it, it sounded uh, totally unfair and very funny and, uh, and probably, <laughs> probably true. The thing about Haley, uh, and I talked about this last time too, the, um, I've been very bearish on the category of non outsider politicians running this primary, running in any Republican presidential primary for eight fucking years now, uh, because mm-hmm. they all lose. That's the category lump it all yep. together. It's just not that much. And it's still not that much. Um, right now, but an interesting thing about her getting to the top of that little clutch of people, right? The Pence and Christie and Tim Scott, and um, you can throw Will Hurd and Asa Hutchinson there if you want. Um, but she's <laughs> now at the top of that group, but that group has grown um, and a little bit, right? They were sort of mired in the 13, 14% for a long time, month after month. It's now up to around 17, 18%, which suggests, um, and then the sort of like the 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 three over there in the other corner, Trump, Vivek, and DeSantis, who sort of straddles those two categories, um, has always been in like above 75. Now it's down to 72. So there's a little bit of leakage towards there from those uh, big guys. And, you know, Trump is not exactly campaigning vigorously, and he has 91 counts of criminal charges against him, which um, mm-hmm. might eventually come in play to some Republican voters. So it's hard to imagine that happening um so yeah there's a, that sort of like glimmer of of uh of chance for nikki haley but also she and she's young and she can kind of counteract a lot of the you know democratic uh party uh, accusations about uh the inaccurate ones i think really about uh, the republican party being 
just sort of this racist, sexist group of horribles. Um, I mean, many of them are, but that's not really how you characterize the entire party, or Republican or Democrat. Um, so she could, yes, um, but there's a lot of debates going further. This is sort of a debate bounce. There will be more. She can thud back to earth again. It'll be interesting to see the uh, Indian on Indian violence, which I'm looking forward to most yeah. so we can get more uh, really cruelly funny and culture columns. <laughs> I think the subcontinent has had enough of that over the past hundred years. That we don't need more. That's of it. true. Bigger rhetorical <laughs> violence in, in, in this case. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still such an incredible long shot and there's going to be a lot of elites um, maybe on this podcast too, kind of telling on themselves how much they just pine for a uh, Republican party that Nikki Haley could succeed in. Um, and she can succeed in, I mean, I, 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 mean, I very, I, I would love it. I, I would mean, love it, but that's not yeah. where the party is yeah. at. And it'll be an upset. Things will have to change in order for her to be competitive, not in the party, but, but me, in the presidential question, Matt, the, the, Cause it's a distinction that I'm wondering if you meant this on, you know, um, if you actually made this delineation on purpose, that it's a, the party's not that way, but are the American people that way? If, mm. the, if, if Trump washed out, I know the party, the party like superstructure of the party does not want this at all. They've actually very quickly um, from kind of 2015 to today really, you know, rerouted how the party worked and rewired everything. But if it were to, could it snap back? I mean, there was a hope when Bill Kristol and people like this were like, you know, make it our party again and we're going to be the Republicans for sanity or with the, uh, whatever these bullshit groups that they created every, every um, half a minute. But if the American people had Donald Trump being frog marched off to jail or whatever it was that disqualified him, this, you know, hopefully not this idiotic idea that the Constitution forbids him from running for president, which would create an absolute catastrophe. And if you want to slow march ourselves towards civil war, which I don't think is going to happen, and I've been um, throwing cold water on that for a number of years now. That's the closest I think you're going to get. If you say you can't actually run, I know everybody wants you to run, but we're going to prevent you from doing it. That's going to be a bad thing. But if if you have something that takes him out, and you have to have somebody's okay, who's going to step in now? Who's going to be the person that wins? I I'm wondering if people are going to say we need um, just a cleaner version of MAGA like a Vivek kind of guy, or maybe even DeSantis does his little MAGA two-step, but I don't think he believes it at all. Hmm. And I think that if Ron DeSantis became president, he would, he would govern in a way, and I don't mean this, by the way, in the hagiographic way when you cite Reagan, like it'd be a Reagan. No, I just mean policy-wise would be probably more like that because mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day that he's a conservative of the, you know, Kind of, you know, Ted Cruz variety, maybe a little John McCain. He's learned to weaponize government against his political adversaries. I, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I that is, but I think that that is something that it, it's something that worries me. I think that's something that's a reaction to what is going to resonate with people when COVID is no longer the thing that I can that I can um, marshal and say this is what I was great at. Nobody gives a shit about COVID anymore. You know, provide again. I said this before. Provided we don't get into this mask mandate and schools doing uh, shutting down, then it, it, sure I, he decided for some reason, and I think it's wrong. And it's a really interesting thing to to, to see today. By the way, on Megyn Kelly's podcast, our friend Megyn Kelly had Rick Grinnell on. Um, and you remember Rick Grinnell is, uh, a gay man who decided to go on to Megyn Kelly's podcast today and say that, um, the Republican party doesn't need somebody like Ron DeSantis cause he's a homophobe. 
And um, the re- Republican really? voters don't want a homophobe, and uh, and Donald Trump is not a homophobe. He doesn't like you know the kind of ideology of it, but he just wants everyone to live as they live. And he cited that ad mm-hmm. that was, uh, and I don't know how fair this is. Cause I don't know if he approved it, if it was some kind of uh, group affiliated His wife in any real has way. Also I- done similar ads too. So yeah. okay, so yeah, I didn't. I don't know specifically. It was a hideous ad, um, and I, they pulled it down actually. Mm-hmm. And, and fired a staffer who was affiliated. And fired a staff. Yeah. Which, with the group. That's when you that. know that, that it resonated in the totally wrong way. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's pretty amazing that Rick Grinnell actually came out in Megan's show and said that. But I just think that the, 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 the thing that troubles me about DeSantis is that he seems for, he seems like, in, you know, when he's not governing in a local way, which I think he did a very good job in Florida, and the people of Florida seem to think the same thing, you know, disaster relief, COVID stuff. But when he's in a national kind of mindset, he seems to be groping in the dark for something that can be his hook. The thing that, mm. that separates him from the Donald thing Trump. that, so I just don't know how much I trust that troubles you about DeSantis is the thing that makes him electable in a Republican presidential candidate primary. That's I think that's probably also he's the only him. one right now, yeah. unless unless somehow Haley starts to pull more people. But I really I would take the under in a strong way on that. Um, DeSantis is yeah. the only person on that debate stage who is both uh, an elected official or former elected official and has shown previous numerical ability to attract Donald Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. You got And he's a good debater. You got to do that. He hasn't been a good debater yet. <laughs> he did I mean he survived the first no, I, one. I, he was he was effective but it was like artistically not not great. I, um but I think that I think that I think that he is though and I think that one of the we've been distracted by the Trump thing cuz Trump is an effective debate debater in a totally yeah. different way. Mm. But nobody else can do that impression of him. They try and they can't Vivek does this horrible embarrassing impression. Um, and when you, when he's, st- he's a smart guy, Nikki Haley is also a very good debater. I think Tim Scott could be there in some ways, also a very smart guy, but he's very slow. He's very sort of sub, he's very sort of South Carolinian and very kind of takes it. Well, I'm going to tell you a story about this, but you know, when it was somebody that's kind of the recitation of facts in a quick way, you know, he was a terrible debater, by the way, against Andrew Gillum. I didn't think he was very good at all. But I think he's he's proven himself since then. He has a very good command of the issues, whether or not you agree with him. And again, this is not a judgment on whether I like him or not. I just think objectively he's better at it than most people. Christie is is a great debater in a different way. And he's he's in that way of like he can only be on offense. He can only be smashing mouths and breaking jaws. I don't see him ever talking about policy. And like, oh, that was a really good idea, Chris yeah. Christie. He's like, <laughs> Trump is a dick. I'm like, it's entertaining, but like, give me something else, dude. Well, obviously, there, there's going to be plenty to talk about with respect to the Republican um, presidential race for for some time to come. Um, but one of the things that's worth keeping in mind is that Donald Trump, who we've mentioned a few times, could be taken off the board by other matters which are currently mm-hmm. ongoing, like his legal challenges. Um, and there is a really interesting situation with respect to both the legal situation facing Donald Trump, the numerous indictments in numerous states, particularly in Georgia, um, which involves, what, 12 uh, other people who are affiliated mm-hmm. with Trump 18, in various ways, um, all all of whom have pled not guilty at this point. Is it 18? Yeah. Good Lord. Um, so that's super interesting. And it's something that we've all been keeping track of. But in recent days, we've actually seen a couple of convictions handed down 
um, to more people associated with the incident on January 6th of 2021, um, a number of prominent Proud Boys uh, were convicted, uh, including one gentleman whose um, name is escaping me at the moment, um, but his name suggests that he is something other than a racist white male. Enrique um, Enrico Torrio. Enrico, yeah. Enrique Torrio, who, <laughs> yeah. interestingly, Enrico was uh, Enrique, um, although his Enrique, real name yeah. is something else. I forget what it is. But he was um, a leader of the Proud Boys, but on the particular day of January 6th was actually- He was in Baltimore. In a hotel <laughs> in Baltimore. Um, because earlier in that same week- he had gotten into a little bit of trouble um, with local law enforcement in D.C. who told him that if you come back here um, tomorrow, you will be arrested. Uh, so he um, presumably he to, try, the rules. <laughs> to try <laughs> and stay in the good graces of law enforcement. Torn down the decided, Black Lives Matter banner and had a whole bunch yeah, of yeah, but with, uh, No, he's and a there total was a, And there was a stabbing as well, although I don't, I don't recall whether or not it was one of the Antifa folks who got stabbed or what at the at the time if you remember folks there, there was a fools. hell of a lot of craziness going on and there was yeah. regularly violence every single time there was one of these protests and counter protests um and he was involved in all of that and that's the reason he was in Baltimore um but nevertheless he was still convicted and sentenced recently to 20 years 22 in prison years. 22 years in prison for him yes. um for his role there um and you know, we've, I think I've only followed the case so closely, um, but I've certainly taken notice of the number um, and the, the sort of the nature of people, individuals convicted and the durations of time that they're getting sentenced to for their participation in January 6th. And I think for any fair-minded person, particularly someone who is inclined towards criminal justice reform... Um, and generally thinks that that is a good thing to aspire to, um, and who is concerned about even the appearance of something less than impartiality on the part of the justice system, um, particularly the federal justice system, um, anything that looks like political bias in it, like has to at least look at this stuff and raise a little bit of an eyebrow, um, and perhaps raise two eyebrows in a, in a sober, thoughtful way and say, huh, this looks a bit strange. Um, and it might be worth scrutinizing. Like, are we seeing prosecutions play out here that seem to be politically motivated, especially when compared to the kind of prosecutions that were pursued um, when it came to people who were participating in, say, riots, um, not, not merely protests, but riots, uh, I think it's fair to say, in various parts, um, points throughout 2020, oftentimes involving um, law enforcement getting injured. Some cases there were deaths. There was certainly oh. a hell of a lot of property destruction, um, but there was not the same sort of vociferous prosecution. It seems to me of people who were involved in those um, incidents. In fact, there were even some cases where um, federal officials seemed to appeal um, to judges to take into consideration the circumstances, the good intentions of people who were participating in some of these things. So. I I gave us a, a bit of a tee up there, generally interested in your thoughts on this. And Matt, I know that you've been writing and talking about this recently and have some uh, some thoughtful commentary to lead uh, on with the, a, the current circumstance. To lead with the stuff that's going to make Michael like go outside of his apartment and just like strangle an immigrant. Um, <laughs> 
Again, Matt, they're not, <laughs> they're not there. Someone's <laughs> got to work on your house. You said it before. Uh, <laughs> not uh, in Moynihan's backyard. Byron New York uh, from the Washington Examiner, I believe, uh, had a, a piece today that looked at a, a prior case, and this goes towards your kind of unequal sentencing ideas and, and uh, notes from the DOJ. Um, this was a, a Black Lives Matter rioter in uh, Minneapolis, I believe, um, who uh, very uh, gleefully was engaged in the mob torching of a building. And sadly for him, really, um, but maybe also for the person inside, there was a person inside who died. Um, mm -hmm. And in the uh, sentencing- well, It seems was also a perhaps a, a demonstrator slash rioter. Correct. It's not, it doesn't seem that he was uh, working at that particular establishment at the time. He was not. And, um, yeah. and uh, he uh, had a long rap sheet of you know pretty bad, violent, uh, crimes. The uh, Biden uh, uh, Justice Department um, uh, beseeched the judge, the sentencing judge in this case, to maybe not have that long of a sentence, maybe reduce it from, I believe it was 20 years to 10 years in this case. Mm -hmm. uh, and Michael can correct me here. Um, the Yeah, the guidelines called for 20 years. Guidelines yeah. called for 20, they did for 10, but I believe he pled guilty. And this is very important when we think about the Proud Boys things too. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, so the defendant, according to the DOJ memo, uh, uh, was uh, felt frustrated and disenfranchised. Uh, he was caught up in the fury of the mob and um, he was engaging in, quote, the language of the unheard. <laughs> so we should <laughs> the take, riots. <laughs> take special consideration for the guy who wow. set a building on fire that killed a person, probably a, like a hardworking immigrant person. Man, um, but it was the language You of the need unheard. to read the... It, it, it's worse than that, actually, is that um, the DOJ, the DOJ who's trying to put this guy in jail, who does all sorts of throat clearing of like, okay, it was bad. It was bad. The DOJ memo is one of the, the sentencing memorandum is one of the craziest things I've ever read. And this is what it says. And this is the, the Biden Justice Department mm -hmm. says this about a man who is not a rioter. He's a murderer. He murdered somebody in a building, burnt them um, in an act of arson, not an act of protest. This is what the <laughs> DOJ memorandum says. There appear to also have been many people who felt angry, frustrated, and disenfranchised and who were attempting, in many cases, in, in an unacceptably reckless and dangerous manner, to give voice to those feelings. Mr. Lee, the person who m m committed this murder, appears to be squarely in this latter oh. category. And even the great American advocate for nonviolence and social justice, Dr. Martin Luther King, <laughs> stated in an interview with CBS's Mike Wallace in 1966, I love that they give like a footnote, yeah. that, quote, we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard, which, by the way, is not the full quote. But nope. Anyway, that's the, the DOJ's... <laughs> Um, that's the DOJ sentencing guidelines saying, take it easy on this guy that killed somebody because, it, and then by the way, there's something beneath it. Uh, the prosecutors, the prosecutors, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls took note of a video frame that showed Lee outside the pawn shop of the place that he burned down, raising his fist in the air, clenched <laughs> fist to prosecutors. This gesture showed that, that Lee was at heart, a well-meaning protester, not a killer quote, the raised fist Mr. Lee showed and his brazenness in committing the crime is telling. Mr. Lee was terribly misguided and his actions had tragic, tragic, unthinkable consequences, but he, 
but he appears to have believed that he was, in Dr. King's eloquent no. words, engaging in the language of the unheard. In that light, prosecutors concluded the guidelines 20-year sentence recommendation does not appear appropriate, and Lee should receive a lesser sentence. He did. He received 10 years, mm. um, not the 20 that was w- was in the guidance. And not the 22 that, is astonishing. that Enrique Tarrio got. I, I just wonder if the uh, Josh Hawley yeah. raised fist outside of the Capitol on January 6th. <laughs> is that going to be interpreted the same way? He's just speaking it's a, the language. That's a white fist. That is a white this, fist. Yes, I have said this, and I've tried to get it to catch on, and it just doesn't work. Is the the Michael Moynihan free breakfast idea of politics? <laughs> is that all you got to do? Give away a free breakfast to a poor person, and then slit somebody's throat, and be like, you know, they, they were really they had great social programs. Yeah, they did, Hamas, Black Panthers, <laughs> great social programs. They might have killed people, but yeah, you know, they really meant well. The and and you could actually imagine I, that happening on January sixth. Like you actually, you're handing out, you know, sweaters and hot breakfasts sure. to the homeless people yeah. as you march yeah. to the Capitol. That changes yeah, the complexion caps. of things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, MAGA caps are very good. <laughs> in, in, in the summer, it blocks the sun on your bald head. But, but I pointed out this, this on the, um, on the uh, uh, text chain, and I actually said it, I think, on, on um, the Comedy Cellar podcast that I was on last, last night, um, that John Walker Lind got a 20-year sentence. In there is so this one, this guy pleads guilty. You have to plead yep. guilty in a situation like this. You burned a store, someone was inside and they died. Enrique Torrio has a totally sensible case to say, I was in Baltimore. I didn't actually do anything that suborned this. Maybe he did. I didn't actually listen to all the evidence. But you know, it seems like you could probably get off on this. So probably not the best idea to take the 10 years. You want to take the zero years. You want to make that bet. And maybe if you get 15, 20 years, you get out on good behavior, appeal, whatever it might be. But there's no way that a guy like this, this Mr. Lee, can get out from the fact that they have video of him burning a store down and somebody inside. One of the reasons why you would fight the charge as uh, he did, as uh, the other Proud Boys guy, Proud Boys guys uh, did and yeah. also um, uh, Stuart Rhodes from the Oath Keepers is that they were all or most of them were convicted on seditious conspiracy. Let's mm-hmm. think about those two words mashed up together. Yeah. Like we don't like sedition. We don't like sedition. Mm-hmm. We like put a in podcast. This, I like. Yeah, yeah. This is a podcast. <laughs> um, uh, it's generally speaking a odious legal category installed by regimes to quash dissent. That's just mm. like I'm. That's actually true. Uh, and you just mean that that technically that is technically true, uh, and not a particular judgment on any administrations here in the United correct. States. Uh, and conspiracy could be. is often used and arguably used often right now in many different political trials in um, both sides of the political spectrum. Um, it's kind of right up there. Um, with uh, kind of like lying to prosecutors. It's what you charge people with when you can't get them on the crime. It's the conspiracy to commit the crime. Um, so this was mm-hmm. described, the seditious conspiracy charge, which is a big one. Um, it sounds big. It is big. It has big enhancing penalties. It was described uh, by the New York Times as uh, uh, testing the boundaries of conspiracy law, um, right? Because what it, in order to follow the statute here, um, a, you have to engage in a meaningful conspiracy to overthrow, 
put down or to destroy by force the government of the United States. Is that what Enrique Tarrio is doing on January 6th in Baltimore? Um, in order to do that, um, to allege that conspiracy, um, what the judge in the case allowed uh, over the great uh, protestations of the defense lawyer, lawyers, um, the prosecutors were allowed to introduce all kinds of like evidence of other Proud Boys saying crazy stuff that didn't have a crazy violent stuff or like saying that they wanted to do a violent thing, um, uh, even though they showed no necessary evidentiary leakage between those people saying those things that all the jurors saw in the courtroom and the guys that were being prosecuted for a seditious conspiracy. So it's super circumstantial. It's just like, oh God, that sounds bad, right? And we all know that really yeah. bad things happened. Um, there was no smoking gun. This is again in language of like the New York Times and of people who seemed to otherwise like the results. There was no smoking gun found um, that there was any uh, uh, actual stated plan to disrupt the certification of the election. They never show the defendants explicitly plan to disrupt congressional certification in the trial. And yet they mm. successfully convicted. So the first step, if you're going to like have a principled civil libertarian approach to uh, like interpreting these sentencings that went down, the convictions of them is, is seditious conspiracy a good statute? Was it satisfied? Do we like this result? Um, I think uh, my answer is no, no, and no, except that it was satisfied mm. for the purposes of the jury. Um, I disagree with the jury about this. Um, and then you get these, uh, are you going to pay the trial penalty? Um, and in America, it's one of the scandals of the criminal justice system, one that so many criminal justice uh, critics over the years of progressive and libertarian persuasion have otherwise been really excited to talk about is how mm -hmm. bad it is that people try to, prosecutors try to, and successfully do get 99% of federal cases to plea out rather than go to trial. Because right. they stack up everything on you. We have so many criminal statutes that we can say, okay, we're going to put you in jail for 97 years for, you know, crossing a red light. Of course, you're going to plea out to some kind of thing uh, so that of you course, only get yeah. six months probation. So the people who fight because maybe um, this charge was a big stretch and they thought, ah, maybe I'll win. They are going to have this penalty. Mm -hmm. The American Bar Association finds that the average sentence for federal felony convictions are seven years longer than uh, uh, for uh, defendants who went on trial. So you just get mm -hmm. a seven-year penalty. Um, so that, yeah, the Molotov cocktail, they got one year. They threw it in a cop car during a riot. A Molotov Jeez. cocktail, lawyers did. They got one fucking year because they pled out. Um, this guy, 22 years. Are they actually even serving that sentence? I, I, there was, I remember there was some weird circumstances that it seemed like they weren't even going to serve that year. But the, the one thing that is really interesting about this to watch the reaction. And again, I, I talked about this um, very briefly at the end of, um, um, with the great Noam Dorman on the Comedy Cellar podcast last night was, um, you know, the response from so many people that I know and we know who tend to get exercised about these abuses of, um, you know, sentencing, these crazy sentencing guidelines, pleading out, um, just the criminal justice system in general being, being uh, one that is, is stacked against people in ways that you're kind of in the Chinese finger cuffs and you can't get out of, you have to plea or you're just going to get fucked. One of the incredible things about this, we'd assume that most people would be discussing the people that 
you know, would be, I mean, I saw Chris Hayes talking about this and, you know, I would love just to have someone like, look, these guys are scumbags. I believe that myself. Mm -hmm. I believe that Enrique Torrio is a fucking idiot. I mean, beyond anything, he's just a dummy and he believes things that are idiotic and I would never want to spend two minutes with him. And committed like prosecutable crimes that they also prosecuted on for. And that's fine. They're prosecuted. Previously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about, I mean, he's just a, seems like a thug. 22 years, though. Wow. Is a, is that is racist, racist but, language, uh, Michael Moynihan. Well, you can't, we all know, the, know that thug is the new N-word. But he's a white supremacist. Well, I suppose he's, that's fine. He's, yeah. he's not. Okay. <laughs> he's a white supremacist. I'll, I'll allow it. We had to, come on. I just, he says he is. I just want us to be. To decide? Yeah, I just want us to, to be with the times here on this. The newspaper does. Yeah. Um, but the incredible thing that you would imagine people would respond to was now the judge didn't go for this, but the prosecutors wanted a terrorism enhancement which would have added 15 years. So they were looking for 30 years to life, basically. Um, terrorism enhancement. Do you remember those conversations we used to have back in the Bush administration years of what counted as a terrorist? And we were talking about people that were pulled off the battlefield of the Taliban not being counted as terrorists, saying, well, they're enemy combatants, et cetera. And the incredible thing that I pointed out in this chain, and, and again, the other night, was the John Walker Lind got 20 years um, for fighting with the Taliban after 9-11 and being there before 9-11 and actually being involved in a prison riot that killed a CIA officer that he knew about. Mike Spahn was the guy's name. And he knew about it, didn't inform anybody and was part of the whole thing. Um, and was just released from prison, by the way. Um, and not only did not renounce his views, is now more of a psycho Islamist 20 years later. And he got less time than, than Enrique Tario, who was sitting in a hotel in Baltimore LARPing as a revolutionary, like a fucking dummy. I mean, you would expect in some way that there would have to be some idea that you could succeed in overthrowing the government in this 30-year, 20-year sentence. I mean, if you're sitting around talking about it, yeah, the guys show up. What the, the, There's no way that they're ever going to, you know... Uh, the, the problem, of course, and again, I repeat myself that I discussed the other night, is the fact that there are Republican... Uh, lawmakers that didn't want to certify the election. That's a problem. Um, Enrique Torrio, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't afraid of, ever afraid of. And by the way, he was told to stay away. He did stay away. These um, terrorists, by the way, and the, the, the judge agreed that they were all terrorists, mm. but he didn't add the enhancement. Um, very, very strange that they didn't show up with guns because it's a, you, you're going to go to jail for that in, in DC. Mm-hmm. Very tough place to open carry in DC. So they didn't. Um, and, the weird thing is that the, how over time the language of a change that people stop saying this, mm-hmm. but it was called an armed rebellion Yeah, for by yeah, members yeah, of yeah. Congress, by members of the Senate, this armed rebellion. It's like, and, and, and people look airspray. Yeah. And people have <laughs> looked not, for not, those weapons for some time um, in a, in a very serious way. Look for, for video evidence um, of people carrying firearms um, openly at the protest um, they just or at, at the and, and I, I called it a protest. That's a mistake. Um, at this preposterous fracas, it was a if you, if you want to call it a riot, riot, I think you can as well. It's and turned points. into a violent, um, yeah, psychotic. Uh, action but Merrick Garland sure. and I mean, there's no Merrick Garland that. and and Chris Ray and everybody at the Department of Justice. Um, they will use language like insurrection about this, mm-hmm. and that is routinely, yeah, I think inaccurate. If you just look at the de- definition of what an insurrection is, um. There would have been more uh, planning. Like 
we think of like, oh, sure, you know, they're just <laughs> LARPing about overthrowing the government. There isn't even evidence of that. It's more like uh, like the, the they have one guy in the Proud Boys who turned. He turned states evidence because uh, they. Mm-hmm. they yeah. And he prote- he he, he um, turned on Tario he turned on Tario and all the, the other guys the and prosecution and they witness, kept yeah. like saying okay so like what was the plan he's like well I didn't really plan it was more like <laughs> vibes it was just sort of like <laughs> implicitly I, I, these are almost yeah, direct so. quotes uh, it was implicitly yeah, yeah. understood that like if we didn't get the results that we liked that you know there was going to be something would go down mm-hmm. so that is the insurrection plan I, I see a lot of people like David Simon. The anger bear, uh, creator of The Wire and other uh, television programs, um, quality television programs, very generally. high quality. Although the journalism year uh, season was no good, mm-hmm. but um, the uh, saying, you know, the people have said it too. Like uh, when when some of us point out that Dubis in Baltimore um, didn't take part in the thing that we're talking about here. I will say, well, you know, David Simon, by the way, is the only one person who's allowed to talk about Baltimore. So that is true. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, he'll say, well, Charles Manson didn't plunge the knife into oh you my know, the Tate lobby. No, no, that's actually a, that's actually a decent comp. It is. That's how you do a conspiracy. Um, but here's the thing. The problem where the comp breaks down is that there's a grisly murder, a mm-hmm. series of murders that were planned. Also a, a, a murderous mean- cult. At least like zombie hippie chicks. They killed five people at Potato House, by the way. Five people. And they were, and, and also they had uh, uh, Charlie Manson saying, go murder people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, by the way, and then the Lombiancas, who had nothing to do with anything, just kill them too. I live pretty close. Okay, Tex. I live yeah. pretty close. Who, by the way, Tex is still alive and still is in prison. Really? Yeah, yeah. Weird. It's, I, I looked mm. that up the other day because I was wondering. Because um, um, what's her name was was uh, was finally um, paroled. Um, Sharon, whatever, not Sharon. Um, the what the hell was the woman? Um, uh, one of the last ones that was in prison was paroled, and and one of the people that was advocating her for her. Speaking of Baltimore, was John Waters, mm. of course. <laughs> Leslie Ann Warren, I mean, squeaky from I, just throwing it. I mean, if the, if there's anything that sticks out in, in this situation as a as a lesson to me, it's uh, internet bravado. Probably not a great idea. It is interesting to see prosecutors routinely refer to like Terrio and some of these other guys' own statements about what they were doing that day. I think Terrio had a tweet that said, make no mistake, this was us um, on like January 7th, um, describing yeah. describing what happened that day, taking far more credit than he deserves, I imagine, of course. Um, for his small yeah. part in that preposterous mockery um, uh, or farce. Um, and in, 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 you know, much the same respects, a lot of this it runs parallel to some of the conversations we've had about the RICO prosecution um, in Georgia, which we've mentioned a couple of times, uh, related to Young Thug, uh, and you know, I'm, I suppose there was a moment there where I almost said Free Thugger, um, and I I like Young Thug, but you know, I, I suspect he probably did some things, so maybe you should probably, you know, I don't know, just saying. Um, <laughs> one of the things that people don't realize about these groups, but is, the RICO prosecution um, is bad. So the uh, in October of 2020. I was out in the woods with the whatever, the three percenters, the five percenters. I can't, one of them is the black Muslims. Yeah. Five percenters, the, the three percenters, I guess. <laughs> These guys who, you know, the gravy seals, all the <laughs> fat old guys that were running through in their, in their uh, camouflage. 
and we're out there and it starts pissing raining and i'm like these guys are survivalists and everyone's like we gotta go we gotta leave it's raining too hard so we all sprinted back to the cars after doing you know weapons training in, in the woods and guys shooting off guns and stuff and the leader um who's a pretty well-known guy in this world says come to my house we can all come to my house and we'll, we'll go to the garage and just hang out so i said camera crew let's go <laughs> so we go um there's by the way a young black kid from northwestern that was there um uh, training with them a uh, i think ecuadorian guy that lived in queens that drove down for the training in the three percenters so but we're in this um guy's garage in october and um i can find the exact day because i found the image of the man being shot so and this is relevant because we're talking, giving shots of moonshine and we're just chat, chatting with these guys. And some guy comes in and he's like, guys, big news. Uh, uh, one of our patriots, literally says one of our patriots was, was just murdered by Antifa. And everyone's like, what? And they all start gathering around and like going to their computers and all stuff. And um, they, this guy, and here it is, is in Denver. There's a picture of this guy um, spraying bear spray um, at another guy who has a pistol. He looks like a, he, he looks like a hipster kind of guy and shoots the guy and kills him. And there's a, a photo of this you, that you can see. Um, is in the Denver Post. And the amazing thing about this was right afterwards, they were like, this is in Georgia. They're like, oh man, they got one of our guys. Antifa got one of our guys. What are we going to do? And they're all like, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's talk about what we're going to do. And then you realize that these guys were just playing this enormous game is that mm -hmm. they thought they were in this existential struggle with Antifa. And like, that's when you saw the Patriot prayer idiots going against the Antifa idiots in fucking um, Portland. Right. It was just this game to them. It was like the, you know, the, like the jets and the sharks and it's, you know, it was like gang, it was like gang nonsense in, in, in like, you know, Chicago or something or in New York or whatever. And th th what, do you, what do you mean, what are you going to do? You guys are in fucking Cobb County. This is somebody who just got shot. You don't even know this. And, and I'm on camera talking to him. I'm like, you don't know what happened. You know this guy was Antifa. Like, no, he definitely was Antifa. He, this, he, one of our patriots was murdered tonight. And it was, like, it was like talking about Horst Vessel or something, this kind of martyr to the cause that just pops up. And it was all in their heads. They were doing this thing, like and Enrique Torrio saying, yeah, this was us. It's like, it just reminds me of these guys. They were playing this game. They were playing this like revolution game that there were the good guys and the bad guys. We we're fighting the commies and the commies are like, we're fighting the fascists. And it's like, you're all fucking losers. You know that, right? Like the rest of us go to work. The rest of us do, you know, have our kids. You guys are fucking 300 pound guys rolling through the woods of Cobb County. And it gets, it rains and you have to like, we have to retreat to the garage of our house. And then his wife, who's like a Vietnamese immigrant, by the way, comes out and yells at him for being too loud. <laughs> like, this is insane. Like, this is not real life. But they had constructed this entire scenario in their head that they were freedom fighters fighting against Antifa. And when that thing happened, they're like, one of ours got, cut, got killed tonight. We got to strike back. And it's like, this isn't real, guys. And that's just when I see the Torio stuff and I see these guys that took it obviously very, very far. And I, by the way, I don't disagree that they should go to jail. 22 years is just insane to me. Mm -hmm. It just, that should strike everybody as like, that is wild. I mean, you kill that. That's, I, I think that the guy, um, um, Andres Breivik who killed 82 people in Norway got a lesser sentence than that. 
But that's Norway. one of the uh, yeah. only. Um, I suppose suspect he actually got the maximum allowed in Norway, right? Yeah, he, he he absolutely yeah. did. And then they they try to they're, they're making sure that when he is is uh, eligible for release to try to pull all sorts of tricks to keep him in there. One of the uh, only good things about the Biden administration or the Biden presidency, um, uh, you know, notwithstanding the recent books that have come out about it, um, uh, has been that there haven't been like kind of constant periodic stupid street battles between really out of shape people. You know, Matt, the last time we recorded, um, was that with Mike Pesca? Camille disappeared yeah. uh, just at the end, and he claims that there's some sort of technical difficulty. That's what happened again. He ran out of things to say. Mm-hmm. He had nothing more to say. Cashed out. He was like, he was done it. fluffing you know, his afro, right? He's been he's like working the afro pick like, the entire I, I literally, He's literally working the afro pick. It's like we're literally on a Zoom call with Freddie Boom Boom Washington, <laughs> and it's just, it's just, it's over. So this episode is over because Camille decided that, uh, that uh, he couldn't do it anymore. So um, I don't know if we're picking up his mic anymore, but uh, that was a fun episode. And I'll tell you what, we've had um, a couple of emails asking for part two of our fire uh, extravaganza in Philadelphia. Um, that is um, going to be posted very, very soon. It's it's there. Um, I appreciate the emails uh, wondering. I'm, I'm happy you guys are hungry for it. But we've had a lot of material in the pipeline. And so we just needed an opening. This one, obviously, you're listening to now. The next one you hear, which will be for everybody, not just for subscribers, but you should subscribe, wethefifth.substack.com. Go over there because there's going to be lots of um, fantastic stuff there too. And uh, coming up, we have the second Sunday uh, of the month. Is that right? Correct. Matt? This, this the Sunday. Sunday. The second, second Sunday, Sunday, which means that we will be doing our um, members only episode live on Zoom where you guys can come and uh, join and raise your hands and ask questions. But please, as we said last time, keep your pants on. And if you want to know why we're saying that, join the Substack. You'll find out. Not us keeping their pants on. We do that. Well, it depends. If you put a little extra in the kitty, we'll see. Only fans. All right. Um, That was a good episode, despite the fact that Camille's, I think he's gone. Yeah. He's gone. Okay. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.